Hello, my name is Cesar Jeremy Quintanilla. Not to be confused with Cesar Alberto Quintanilla, my father, or Cesar Daniel Quintanilla, my younger brother. I go by Jeremy, so that's pretty easy to remember. This episode has some very controversial political topics, economical topics, and religious topics. These views are solely mine and that of October Revolution Corporation. These views and ideas are not that of You Must Believe LLC, JV Impacts, or of John J. Vasquez. These views and ideas are not that of any current Age of Radio podcast host or future Age of Radio podcast host. These views and ideas are not that of any current Age of Radio advertising partners or of future Age of Radio advertising partners. These views are not that of any of the artists, songwriters, musicians, engineers, producers, record labels, record publishers, or any other persons that were part of the music that you may hear in this episode. These views and ideas are not that of most Americans. Without further ado, this is Age of Jeremy, Good to the Last Drop, Part 1, What's in a Name. This episode of Age of Jeremy is brought to you by the new Age of Radio podcast, Bones on Sports. This is Jimmy SS Bones, where the extra S stands for extra sports. I'm the host of the Bones on Sports podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about hockey, we talk about football, we talk about baseball, we talk about anything happening in the sports world that I feel is relevant. I'll be releasing a podcast every two weeks. You can pick that podcast up on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. So please join me on Bones on Sports. This is Age of Jeremy, episode seven, good to the last drop, part one, what's in a name. And if you have missed some of the other episodes, especially episode six, where we talk about some of the changes that we're making to the show and my venture into crowdfunding, which is going to be a predecessor for some of our other episodes this season, make sure you check out that episode. And you can find those episodes at ageofjeremy.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Good to the last drop, a bitch slap. Pile of storming bodies, having sex on top of a pizza, a subscription to men's fitness, drinking alone. (laughs) (laughs) Sneezing, farting, and coming at the same time. Good to the last drop. An ass disaster. Oh god. Jerking off into a pool of children's tears? For the last drop, man. What's wrong? It was nice to have a break. Danielle and I purchased our first home back in May. We've never had anyone over, at least for a party. Danielle thought it would be fun to have family and friends over on New Year's Eve. Oh, and just a reminder, Danielle is my wife. We played games. We had a fire. We set off fireworks. It was great. I've been really busy with JV Impacts. We have a new weight loss program called the 3T Method. Uh, It is a program that uh, John created that utilizes intermittent fasting, macro counting, and HIIT training. I've already lost 11 pounds over the last two weeks on the program. 
you can check out the program at www.3teammethod.com. So the new year is here and I need to figure out how to do the taxes. Not that I don't know how to do taxes, it's that I've never done small business taxes. There are three companies that I have to worry about. Uh, My parent company, which is October Revolution Corporation, which owns 90% of Age of Radio LLC. And then You Must Believe LLC, which I own 10% of. Uh, A lot of people don't understand how corporations and LLCs work, and I'm going to tell you in time. But before I can get everything organized for the taxes, I think it would be wise to get the accounts organized, which uh, brings me to a very important topic, October Revolution Corporation structure and ownership. Most importantly, I thought it was time to introduce the world to October Revolution Corporation, whose motto is democracy in the workplace. July 1918, the Ekaterinburg Reds feared that a Czech army and white Russian forces were on their way to rescue the Tsar. The decision was made to act. Yakov Yurovsky was the hardliner chosen by the local committee to take over command of the House of Exile. The guards, known to have become affectionate towards the family, were removed. Yurovsky brought in new men with a new mission to execute the prisoners. In the cellar of this house in 20 horrific minutes on the night of July 17th, 1918, the last chapter of the Romanovs would be written. Just after midnight, the royals are roused from sleep by guards. The family is told that because of anarchist unrest in the town, the upper rooms of the house have become unsafe that there may be shooting in the streets. The Tsar, his wife, and five children, along with their four attendants, all 11 that make up the royal household, are brought down into the cellar for their own safety. Yurovsky and his men enter the room. He has instructed each to shoot a different family member in the heart to lessen the blood flow. There were investigations after the event, and there are written accounts as detailed as they are confusing. But what happened here was both savage and hate-filled. Red 
The October Revolution took place on October 24th and 25th of 1917. Almost immediately after that, the country broke out in a civil war. It was the White Army, or the capitalists and the monarchists, against the Red Army, which were the communists at the time. And after the October Revolution of uh, October 24th and 25th, 1917, that's when Lenin took control of the country and started the Soviet Union. But the Civil War was the capitalists and the monarchism, monarchists, trying to take back the country. And they believed that one of the ways that they could do that was to recapture um, the Tsar, which was Nicholas II at the time. Um, His family was murdered, as you heard in that clip, and it was a terrible murder. And it's one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with when deciding to name my company October Revolution Corporation because this was an atrocity against mankind, and I believe in a democracy no one should have to be murdered. But within uh, communism and socialism, there is some amazing concepts that I believe that can make America greater, um, get rid of this capitalist society that we think is the only way that we can do things. And most of the people that are within a society only believe that that's the way that that society can can be, and they don't understand that they're being exploited. And what October Revolution Corporation does is it allows an alternative way to organize a corporation. Uh, But before we talk about that, and before we have uh, a word from our sponsors, I want to uh, mention an important thing. I chose to play this the song um, by Sam Hunt. Um, this land is uh, your land, um, or this land is made for you and me. I can't remember the exact title of it right now, but it was a song that was written by Woody Guthrie that was played, um, I believe, in the 60s or 70s. And uh, the song itself was actually a communistic song. Uh, Woody was an advocate for communism. And there's an important line that's left out of this song. And that line goes, one bright sunny morning in the shadow of the steeple, by the relief office I saw my people as they stood hungry. I stood there wondering if God blessed America for me, which I think is very uh, important to think about. I think Sam Hunt did a great job of this song. You can hear his version of it on the Netflix Bright soundtrack. Uh, Netflix Bright is a movie Um, It's a pretty good movie. You should check it out. But the song is beautiful. He did a great job. But I think it's kind of funny because we listen to this and we think, oh, this is a communist song or this is a song about America. Then we find out it's a communist song um, or has some communistic undertones. And then we find out that there's this line in there that talks about people being hungry, which I think is kind of funny because when we think of communism in the countries today, especially when we think of Cuba, when we think of North Korea, and when we think of the Soviet Union, we'll exclude China for the moment, or even when we include Vietnam, we think of um, people or governments that can't feed their people. I think that's very interesting because in a capitalistic society, we think of uh, people that Uh, a country that can't feed its people. And then when we think of communist countries, we think of a government that can't feed its people. So what's really going on there? Does it really have to do with capitalism or does it have to do with communism or is there something else that's going on? And that's kind of what I want to dive in to today, because once you understand it, you'll see that what's going on in North Korea and what's going on in Cuba and what's going on in Vietnam Um, is really almost the exact same thing that's going on here. It's just the government that's doing it instead of private companies that are doing it. 
So what does this have to do with the parent company, October Revolution Corporation? Wait and see. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. This Age of Jeremy is brought to you by the Age of Radio Podcast Awards. The December 2017 winner was Shit Town. Make sure you check it out wherever you get your podcasts. January, we are focusing on true crime podcasts. The nominees are Criminal, Sword and Scale, Last Podcast on the Left, and Real Crime Profile. Make sure you vote on Age of Radio Radioheads. Go to Facebook.com and in the search bar, type in Age of Radio Heads, and then you can join our free group and vote there. This is a clip from Last Podcast on the Left. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? So... One thing about reading about Pee Wee Gaskins that makes me kind of like feel funny inside, but uh-huh. it's also, a, wouldn't it be kind of nice, honestly, to have a tiny little man? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like one that can think, like one that was made by science, uh-huh. right? And that it could do whatever you want. But it goes like, and it just goes like, <laughs> you're just talking about an annoying Roomba machine. They are, it already exists. The last podcast on the left covers all the horrors our world has to offer, both imagined and real, from demons and slashers to cults and serial killers. The last podcast is guaranteed to satisfy your blood lust. Stay tuned later in Age of Jeremy for a clip from I'm sorry, Criminal. It's always pop I, I know. I was trying to think. How do we get? Like, how do I break out of Pee Wee Herman brain? Be like, did he dictate it to his chair? How, what's going on with the microwave? I know you are. What am I? But he, um, he wrote a very entertaining novel, very similar to Carl Panzram, where it's like the, where it's not like Robert Picton's novel, which was as you heard from the excerpt I read, nearly incomprehensible. Are you purposely calling them novels? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so novels. distance yourself so from the reality. Yeah, you're not putting this in the nonfiction category. Well, we're going to find out as just how how reputable and how uh, how how can we bet on these narrators? Mm-hmm. Right. What's the term? Unreliable narrator. Unreliable, Unreliable sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks to a listener whose name I lost, and they should get a hold of me on Twitter to let me know who they are so I can thank them. I got a hold of Pee Wee Gaskin's autobiography. Mm. And unlike Robert Picton's autobiography in which he maintains innocence, Gaskin goes whole hog. But it's more mm. like the potbelly pig because how small he is. <laughs> yeah. But no. now he might now some of the lies come from uh, him maybe Let's exaggerating get back to the show. his uh, violent acts, right? Oh, we'll get into all that. But the Russian Revolution. The year is 1914. World War 1 had begun and Russia was at war with Germany. The working class and the peasants make up the Russian army. However, they are not well equipped or trained for the battles to come. The year is now 1917. Millions of Russians had been either killed or wounded. The Russian people were angry at Tsar Nicholas II for getting Russia into the war and several other reasons, including the Tsar taking personal command of the army, Rasputin's power over the royal family, food shortages, and growing political opposition. The first revolution came about in February 1917 on the Julian calendar in Petrograd, which was the capital of Imperial Russia. Demonstrators protested about the lack of bread due to rationing and were soon joined by striking workers. The army was called upon to suppress the uprising. Several protesters were shot and killed by the soldiers. 
However, many refused to open fire. The army too, it seemed, had mutinied against the Tsar. The Petrograd Soviet was the city council for workers and soldiers. Now, more and more workers and soldiers elected people to it in order to represent their demands. The Tsar abdicated bringing an end to the Tsarist autocracy and a new government took over. This government was run by two political parties, the Petrograd Soviet and the Provisional Government. The Bolshevik Revolution The Provisional Government was also unpopular. It made the decision to remain in the war and failed to give land to the peasants. Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks were a faction of the Marxist Russian Social Democratic Labor Party and eventually became the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. He had a simple slogan which would appeal to the people and the Petrograd Soviet. Peace, bread, and land. Peace, the end of Russia's involvement in World War I. Bread, solving food shortages. And land, which would go to the peasants. He also stated, all power to the Soviets, meaning the Soviet that he Union was turned into Stalinism and led to his dictatorship ending December 26, 1991. I encourage you to read Russia in Revolution, An Empire in Crisis by S.A. Smith. Lenin believed that power should be in the hands of the workers. Now, Lenin and a man named Leon Trotsky, we'll call him Lenin's right-hand man, were communists. And communists believe in common ownership of the means of production and the absence of social classes, the absence of money, and the absence of the state. When most of us think of the Soviet Union, I imagine, or when we think of Cuba and North Korea and China, we think of the exact opposite of a stateless society. We think, well, the state owns everything. Isn't that what happened in the Soviet Union? And isn't that what happens in North Korea? Well, you're right. Because all that has really happened so far is what is called nationalism. What is nationalism? It's a great question. It's where the state, we will use the word government, so where the government takes control of all the private property. This doesn't mean your house and all of your cool shit. It means businesses. They take control so the government can have control of production. Why would the government want control of the production so they can eventually put the production back in the hands of the workers and then dissolve the government? And once we do this, we can live together and work and play and create amazing shit and live in a great utopian society. At least that's the concept behind it. What is really happening in North Korea and why the fuck hasn't this so-called utopian society really come into existence where the workers and the people have complete control over the government and all of the means of production? Well, I don't really have an answer for you. Maybe it has to do with greed. Maybe it has to do with power. Uh, when it comes to North Korea and what we usually think of communism, uh, they have a different understanding of communism. And if you look up the history of communism, you can find out exactly um, what that is. I'm sorry. And if you look up the history of North Korea, you can understand their form of communism, which is a little bit different. Um, uh, but but it's led to what North Korea is today, which is still technically nationalism. The other problem is maybe we don't know how to go from capitalism to what we call nationalism or state capitalism to socialism. Socialists and communists have the same goal in mind. They want to reach socialism, where people have full control over the society. And how they get to this goal is where the confusion come in, comes in. Socialism believes that you capture the state through non-revolutionary means, usually called evolutionary socialism. This is where the state is captured through democratic means. 
Communism is where you capture the state through revolutionary or through uh, military means or through war or through uprising or through revolution. Now, there is a book called Evolutionary Socialism by Edward Bernstein that you can read that really helps to drive this point home. In America, we have capitalism. In North Korea, Cuba, and most of China, they have nationalism or state capitalism. To really understand this concept, you have to understand corporations. But first, a word from our sponsor. This Age of Jeremy is brought to you by the Age of Radio Podcast Awards. The December 2017 winner was Shit Town. Make sure you check it out wherever you get your podcasts. January, we are focusing on true crime podcasts. The nominees are Criminal, Sword and Scale, Last Podcast on the Left, and Real Crime Profile. Make sure you vote on Age of Radio Radioheads. Go to Facebook.com and in the search bar, type in Age of Radio Heads, and then you can join our free group and vote there. And right now is a clip from Real Crime Profile. The awful rage and eating feeling is inside. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. If any of this is going to work, we need to talk to more subjects. More! You want truffles? You got to get in the dirt with the pigs. No, we don't. We are the FBI. How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? And that's one thing that the writers, I think, really tried to do on our show, which is create these guys in an authentic way to really, to really study who these men were. They're all very different. And uh, to try to present them um, in the most realistic way possible. Yeah, I think there's something even scarier about serial killers as human, like, messed up human beings as opposed to... Join Jim Clemente, former FBI profiler... Laura Richards, criminal behavior Hello, analyst, former New Scotland Yard, and Lisa Zimbetti, casting director for CBS Criminal Minds, as they profile behavior from real criminal cases. Real Crime Profile will take you through the gripping Stephen Avery case, highlighted on Making a Murder, the O.J. Simpson trial, and much, much more. Find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Real crime and the minds that solve those crimes. And today, we're going to talk about a great new Netflix original series called Mindhunter. And this series I've known about for at least three or four years because John Douglas has been working with Charlize Theron and David Fincher mm -hmm. to put together an amazing, compelling series that I'm pretty sure is going to go on for years and years and years. Well, they've already shot or commissioned season two. Yeah, before they? it even premiered. Wow, that's yeah, pretty yeah, amazing. That's pretty so good. what do you think about that, Lisa? I think it's amazing. I'm a big fan of David Fincher, and I, I want to get into that as far as the visual style, which is a very important character in this um, series, and I'm going to talk about that, But and the casting. I want to talk all about that. Um, but yeah, it's. I just finished it last night. I binged it. This is a, a series that I think holds up very well to binging. If I had to wait a week for each of these, I don't know if they stand each Well, because it's a slow burn. Alone. Yeah, yeah. a very slow burn. Yeah, and but it's a slow burn in a way that really gives you uh, satisfaction about why things are happening and how things happened. And I think they did that very well in this. I binged it um, the week after it started airing. I binged it on a Sunday and then Monday night I finished mm. it. So I did, got eight in on Sunday and wow. and I just couldn't make it to to the last through the last two because I have to get some sleep now you do I'm, I'm on this sort of actual sleep kind of 
life now where I actually sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anyway, but I couldn't wait to get home from work the next day so I could watch the last two episodes. And I thought they did a great job. They did an incredibly good job of setting it up for season two. Absolutely. And it's 10 in total, isn't it? So season one is 10. You know, I like the fact that you've just got a number of arcs going on and one is about... Make sure you check out Real Crime Profile wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the show. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about the role of corporations in our economy. But no one takes the time to explain exactly how they work or the benefits they provide. So let's give it a try. Corporations are designed to make a profit while delivering value to their shareholders. And by doing so, they drive economic growth and all the good things that come with it. And as corporations grow, many individuals invest directly or indirectly through mutual, pension, and retirement plans. These stockholders provide seed money or capital for corporations to grow. And in doing so, they create economic growth and reward investors with the opportunity to profit. In this video, we'll start with the basics of corporate structure. But be sure to check out later episodes where we'll dive into some of the specifics. Now, when you think about how a company runs, your first instinct may be to compare it to something like a school board or a homeowners association, or even Congress, where decisions are made by a simple majority vote. But corporations are more complex. In fact, there are three principal groups that govern corporations. They are the management, board of directors, and shareholders. Now, the relationship and responsibilities of these three groups are defined primarily by state law in a corporation's own charter and bylaws. That means each corporation is a little different, but all have government oversight. The management is made up of all those people with acronyms like CEO and CFO. Their responsibility is running the day-to-day operations of the company. Most importantly, management identifies and manages corporate risks. Now, the board of directors' responsibility is overseeing the strategy and performance of these guys and gals, the management. Within the board are various committees designed to tackle specific issues, such as audits, compensation, or corporate governance. Committees recommend policy for approval by the entire board. But we'll talk about this more in future episodes when we explain the inner workings of boards. The board of directors' main responsibility is to make decisions in the best interest of the corporation's shareholders, the people who voluntarily invest by buying stock. That's why they are commonly referred to as owners. Shareholders' piece of power is the right to elect these directors. They also approve mergers and acquisitions. And that's the structure of the corporation. Employing millions of people in all sectors of the economy, providing health insurance and retirement plans, providing investment opportunities for all generations, and providing innovative products and services that affect every aspect of daily life. Be sure to check back for future episodes in this series, where we will continue to explore how corporations work and their role within the U.S. economy. See you soon. That clip I took from YouTube, it's a little biased, but the point is that people with money buy shares of the company. The more money that that person has, the more shares that they can buy. The more shares of stock that person owns, the more votes that person has, traditionally speaking. The shareholders vote for the board of directors every year or whatever time is set in their bylaws. And the board of directors hire top management and then those top managers run the company. 
Capitalists believe in private ownership of the means of production, and their whole existence is for profit. Usually, these capitalists prefer corporations for their tax benefit and the shareholder to board of director relationship. Reason being is that profit is paid out in the form of dividends. I'm going to use a super, super basic example. Don't be too critical of the example that I use. Let's say I have 10 million shares of company A, and my friend has 20 million shares of company A as well, and we own it together. We are the only two owners. We vote for the board of directors. And in our bylaws, it says that they're going to meet six times a year and they're going to guide the CEO of our company on what to do. The CEO hires and oversees the C-suite. That includes the chief financial officer, the chief operating officer, the chief marketing officer, and so on and so on. Then those people hire the rest of the people and we pay those people a decent wage. Meanwhile, my friend and me, we go about our lives and we work on the first business that we started, which uh, gave us the ability to purchase this second business and start the second business. We don't do anything at the other business, mind you. Meanwhile, our board of directors, CEO, manager, and workers are working away. Now, our bylaws state that every year we pay out 20% of our profits in the form of a dividend. We have $2 million in profit at the end of the year, so only $400,000 is paid out in dividends to the owners, which are me and my friend. And to start, we need to find out how much a share is worth. So if we take $400,000 and we divide that by 30 million, which are the shares that are outstanding, remember I have 10 million and my friend has 20 million, that makes 30 million, and each share would be then worth 13, uh, I'm sorry, 0 0.013. That means that I would receive a check for $135,000 and my partner would get a check for $265,000. So what you would do is you would take 0 0.013, you would times that by the amount of shares that that person has. So if you did that, I would get $135,000 and my friend would get $265,000. Now again, I adjusted for rounding, so it's going to be a little bit off if you do the mathematical calculation. If you add those up, it's going to be $400,000, which was the amount of the profit that we decided that we were going to pay out to our shareholders, which in this case are just me and my friend. So why would my friend and I get this money? Well, it's because we are the capitalist in this situation. We received the money from our other business. We took that money and we started this second business, and we are the ones that provided the capital for this business to run. We paid the board of directors in this scenario. Let's say we paid them cash. A lot of the times they are paid in shares of the company to make sure that they get the company to perform. Most of the time they have original owners on the board, such as say Jeff Bezos is on the board of Amazon. So traditionally when people say the 1%, it is this group of people that they're referring to. They're referring to the shareholders that own the most amount of shares that can vote the board of directors in for those board of directors to run that company. What is important to understand is that a corporation has shareholders and those are usually capitalists. The board of directors are usually also the capitalists and the CEOs are also usually capitalists, but if the CEO or the C-suite doesn't get any form of ownership for bonuses, such as saying uh, getting stock options, then they are just really high-priced employees. And I would also add that 
even if your company does give you stock options, for instance, the company that I work for actually um, gives me uh, stocks in the company uh, for doing a good job or as a bonus or just to give, if that amount of stock is so small that you actually don't have any say in the company or in who gets to hire the board of directors, because in traditionally one share gets you one vote. So if I have 10 shares, I only get 10 votes. If someone else has, say, 3 million shares, then that person would have 3 million votes if their share, if their stock type granted uh, voting rights, because not all stock grants voting rights, and it all depends on how the corporation is structured. But just keep that in mind. They've, even if your company does give you shares of the stock, that doesn't necessarily mean you have actually any control in who gets on the board of directors. In capitalism, the workers don't have a say in how the profit is distributed. In communism, they would. They would be able to vote for their managers. They would be able to vote for their board of directors. And it's really important to remember that all North Korea and the Soviet Union did was take over the businesses and they placed state officials in the seats of the board of directors. The employees of those corporations or factories still don't have any say or ownership in the production of that company. That is why it is not actually communism and it's what is called state capitalism. State capitalism, just like regular capitalism, so what happens in America, the capitalists focus on getting profit, that profit actually goes to the wealthy people that are already in the top of that company, which are, say, the board of directors or the shareholders or the top shareholders. In North Korea or in Vietnam or in uh, Cuba, the profit from that company goes up to the top. That's why Fidel Castro or the Castro family had so much money, but there were still poor places that were in Cuba. All of that profit went back up to the people that were in charge or the people that sat on the board of director seats or the people that owned the company, which in the case of state capitalism is the government itself. The employees, the workers, they didn't have any say in the production and they didn't have the ability to vote out their managers. They didn't have the ability to vote on what the profit was used for. It could have been used to build better communities. It could have been given back to the people, but they did not have any say. So what businesses do in America, the states do in communistic countries that we have in the world today. It's not actually communism. What's in a name? October Revolution is surrounded with a lot of uh, bad connotation. It has a lot of murders. It has injustices that were done to people. But I think that keeping that name alive will help people question what it was about and what it was supposed to be about and how it was supposed to create equality. And that's what October Revolution Corporation stands for. It stands for equality. It stands for giving the ability back to the workers or the employees to make the decisions on what is actually done in the company. And a lot of people may think that that's stupid. A lot of may people, people may think that regular people don't know how to run a company. And some of that may be true. I don't know. This isn't going to be done 
the way that it is, is currently being done. There are a few amazing companies that we're going to talk about later in part two that have tried to do this concept, this concept of a cooperative. But there's another problem that arises that I'm trying to solve with October Revolution Corporation. And that is, how do you make it equal for the vote? That part's easy. But how do you make it equal where everybody can get wealthy? Where it's not just, okay, we make a corporation and everybody still ends up at the middle class. How is it possible or what is what can we do and how can we change the structure of a corporation to make it so every person within that company, as they work for that company, build actual wealth? And I call that the home dilemma. And we'll talk take about that next time. Back. Check you later. I would take it back for just another minute. Just another chance with you. If you can't wait to get more Age of Radio, check out our January lineup, JV Impacts and Bones on Sports. You can get these anywhere you get your podcasts. New episodes out now. Make sure you join the Age of Radio Facebook group. I'm at Age of Jeremy and check out ageofjeremy.com. This episode of Age of Jeremy was recorded in Furry's room. Yes, she is a hamster. The first song we played was This Land is Your Land, performed by Sam Hunt for the Bright Movie soundtrack, available on Netflix out now. The ending song is The Day is Gone by Noah Gunderson and the Forest Rangers from Sons of Anarchy Season 6. This episode was recorded, mixed, and mastered using Steinberg's Cubase. It was recorded using blue microphones I curse the breaking the day is gone the day is gone run away I'll just run away like a child from all of them to you Now I see My most constant mistake Is I don't know what I love till it's gone But it's too late To go back I can see the darkness Through the cracks Daylight fading I curse the breaking The day is gone The day is gone
To go back I let the darkness Seep through the cracks Love is bleeding